you know, yes, that's, uh, thank, I appreciate the sympathy. Just remember that if the sermon starts to go sour. Um, the, uh, she died, and it, it's not what you think. You know, she, she, she was 18 years old, right? She's, she's lived a good life. A lot of dogs, they don't uh, live to be 18 years old normally. And so she was, she was pretty healthy. She was a, a Pomeranian. About two pounds, a, a, a teacup Pomeranian, right? So she could fit in my purse. And um, uh, yeah, so we, that's just, I, we love Pomeranians. Um, anyways, she, she died. She's 18 years old. Uh, and, and, uh, and, and the way that she died isn't, isn't you know, you say, oh, okay, she was 18 years old. Of course, she's, she's dead. You know, she was, she, was, uh, she was going blind. She was losing her hearing and she rarely knew where she was, okay? And so it was, it was the body was shutting down, right? And so um, my, my mom um, was allowing her to go use the bathroom outside in our backyard where the dog has used the bathroom uh, for most of its life. And, um, and my mom uh, had something come up. She had to tend to something in the house real quick. And, and Callie, that was our dog's name, she, she is not... Uh, uh, you know, she stays in the same spot. There was no worry about her running to the road or running off. So my mom ran in the house, tended to what she needed to tend to. And uh, she looked back through the door. And right time my mom walked out, a hulk flew down. Okay. Gasp, right? This hulk, my, my dog died on the battle, battlefield, all right? The, the, so this hulk flew down and grabbed our poor dog. And, and my mother saw it, ran it down before it could get off of the ground, <laughs> grabbed it back to the ground. Let me pause for a minute. Okay. My mom is a very small lady. And if you need a visual, her and I have the same body type. Okay. It's baby gap clothes. All right. She's, she's, She's a small lady, right? She's, she's, a, she's a redneck woman. She's a southern woman. Fire pistol when you mess with somebody in her family. And this dog is considered family. It's been in the family 18 years. My youngest brother's 20 years old. He doesn't remember a time where this dog didn't exist, okay? And so, um, so my mom came down, ran the Hulk down, pulled it back to planet Earth, and uh, she hit it three times. And she called me on the phone and I said, Mom, what, you, you, you hit a hole. What, what did you hit it with? And she said, uh, Joey, I, I hit it with my fist. You <laughs> hit a hulk with your fist. Three times she hit a hulk with her fist. Three times, okay? She said on the third hit, she had the hulk on its back, okay? <laughs> and she took Callie and she pried Callie from the, 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 just the clasp of death. And don't worry, she was dead. I mean, Callie's dead, right? She's 18 years old. She's, it's done with. But she got to go out seeing her owner attack her predator. Yeah. Like, isn't that incredible? I wish somebody would have caught that on camera. That's a completely true story. I mean, everybody, it was just the wrong place at the wrong time. You know, everybody left that scene unhappy. The dog's unhappy. The dog's dead. It's not, ha you know, it's not happy. My mom's unhappy. The dog's dead. And the Hulk, like, I feel bad for the Hulk. You guys feel bad for my dog. I feel bad for the Hulk because it was just acting on instinct, right? Like, it's, 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 just, it's just doing what it's supposed to do. It sees a, an animal that's a, about to die anyway and says, I'm hungry, and it swoops down, and then all of a sudden it's getting attacked three times, getting punched by this crazy lady <laughs> over and over. Like, I, I'm pretty certain that Hulk flew off like, what the heck was that? Like, what was that all about? 
becoming the, the world's first vegetarian Hulk. You know, like it's, it's done with, right? And so it's just the, the wrong place at the wrong time. And I did get permission from my mom. I was like, are we done grieving the dog? Can I tell this story, please? And she said, okay. So she knows I'm telling the story. But I tell you all that to say, everybody was at the wrong place at the wrong time. Okay? And when I, was a, when I was studying for the sermon this morning, I, uh, I was looking at John chapter 4, and, and all I could think about was, in the eyes of the first century Jews, this was, this was the wrong place at the wrong time for, for Jesus to be. It's, it's his encounter with the Samaritan woman, and we'll, we're going to dive into that passage in just a minute. And, uh, but, but according to the first century Jews, Jesus talking to this lady at the well, this was... This was the wrong place at the wrong time for him to be. And, uh, and, and, and that's kind of what we're going to tease out this morning is, is Jesus and evangelism and, and the way that he approached his evangel- evangelism with this lady at the well. And, and my hope is that you, you would be strengthened and encouraged by the testimony Christ gives about himself and that, that, that we would, um, in gratefulness and in an effort to to increase our joy, that, that, uh, that we would follow the, the example of Christ in our evangelism. And so let me open up uh, us up in prayer, and then we're going to dive in this morning. Heavenly Father, I, um, Lord, you are, um, God, we thank you for this scripture that is true. We thank you, uh, um, God, for giving us something that we can turn to chapter and verse and and say, man, these are the very words of God, and I should follow them, obey them in my daily walk with you. And so, God, I pray that, that uh, you would give us understanding, um, humility, uh, encouragement, motivation, uh, and th- that we would um, be who we were designed to be, and, and that's heralds of the good news uh, to a lost and dying world. And so thank you again for this truth that we're going to look at, and thank you for your love and your grace and your salvation. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to attempt this morning to cover 42 verses in 30 minutes, and um, uh, and what I'm doing, hopefully, you know, to make it a bit more understandable, is is uh, we're going to break our 42 verses up. When I when I read John chapter. Four, and the first 42 verses, I see three different scenes, okay? And that's the, kind of our format this morning. And if you look at your notes, you'll see that I have each section broke, broken up into scenes. And so uh, let's, let's get to our first scene this morning. It's John chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 30. John chapter 4, verses 1 through 30. The Apostle John, he writes this about Jesus. And the woman of Samaria. He says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. Okay, he's, he's popular in the, in the Pharisees. He encounters time and time again between Jesus and the Pharisees. They're just not good, right? And he's, he's taken this, uh, this shortcut here through Samaria and it says in verse chapter 5, it says, So he, he comes to the town of Samaria called uh, uh, Sikor, near the field um, that Jacob had given to a son, Joseph. 
Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, uh, weary as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Okay, and the weariness of Jesus. We say, why did he get weary? He, he's, he's God, right? Why is Jesus tired? But he, uh, John's spending uh, a, bit, a bit of time there on the humanity of Christ. He was 100% God. But he was also 100% man. Okay, Jesus has been traveling for a while. He's weary. He stops here um, at uh, the well of Jacob, which was a holy site um, to the Samaritans. Okay, it was... Um, uh, this was a place of significance to them. And then look on with verse 7. It says, There came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, uh, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Okay, she gets racial with it, and we'll discuss that a bit more in just a moment. And then Jesus answered her this. He said, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that's saying to you, give, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to her, Sir, you have nothing to, to draw water with. The well's deep. She just didn't, she, she's not getting it yet, right? Uh, where, where did you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Uh, he uh, gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. That's kind of gross. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I give him will be, uh, become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said, sir, give me this water so that I won't be thirsty or, or have to come here to draw water. Okay, she's still not getting it, you know, and neither would we if we were in that scenario as well. And Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and what? Truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Just then His disciples came back, and they marveled, and not necessarily in a good way, right? They're like, why is this guy talking to this, this lady and this Samaritan, and why is he by himself with her, all this stuff? We'll address also in a moment. And he was talking with a woman, but no one said, why, what, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away in the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town um, and were coming to him. And so this is scene one for us. Okay, Jesus encounters this lady at the way. And the very first thing that I want you to see right out of the gate is that Jesus as Messiah is at the center of our text and should be at the center of our evangelism. Jesus as Messiah is at the center of our text and should be at the center of our evangelism. Anytime you read a passage of Scripture, uh, you should ask yourself, uh, where, where is Jesus in this passage of Scripture? That should be our, our, our 
uh, the way that we interpret Scripture. Any verse you read in the New Testament and the Old Testament as well, you should be looking at it through the lens of where is Jesus Christ in this passage. We know that the Old Testament's prophesying about the future coming Messiah that's fulfilled in the person and work of Christ. And, and the apostles, the disciples, and Jesus Christ, they, they point back toward the Old Testament to say the things that these, guy, these guys were talking about in the Old Testament, it's fulfilled in, in this man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. So we should, when we approach the Scripture, ask ourselves, where is Jesus in this passage. When we, when we fail to do that, we fail to interpret God's Word uh, biblically. And, and if we walk away from our text this morning without seeing uh, Jesus at the center of it, um, we haven't approached the text correctly. And, uh, and I would go further to say that th- we should do this with our evangelism as well. Uh, uh, we, the, Jesus should be at the center of the, the, the message of redemption that we present to people um, in the task of evangelism, a lot of times we have a tendency to place ourselves at the center of it. And, um, and when we put ourselves at the center of the gospel message or when we put ourselves at the center of this, this, this task of evangelism that we're called to do, we fail to, to paint uh, a biblical picture. I uh, had the opportunity to, uh, to teach at a, a, a college, just a class at a Faith Bible College in Norfolk on personal evangelism. And one of the things that I tell our students over and over and over again is that uh, your testimony, when you share your testimony with somebody, that's a good thing, right? It's what Christ has done in your life that's very helpful. We should do that, but it's different than trying to win somebody to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? When we, when we proclaim the gospel, it is in our testimony, and when we proclaim the gospel and the task of evangelism, Jesus, his person, and his work should be at the center of what we're communicating. Otherwise, we're not communicating it the right way. Okay, now don't misunderstand what I'm saying because God the Father... He loved us so much that he he didn't leave us to our own devices, but he provides, as as Ephesians uh, chapter 1 says, redemption through his blood, the blood of Jesus, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Uh, But remember why God did this. Ephesians chapter 1, it it, it concludes a little bit later by saying, He did this to the praise of His what? To His glory. To the praise of His glory. God's love for us, when we put Jesus at the center of it, it's an unshakable love. Because God's love for you and I is rooted in His love for His glory. And that's that's an unshakable love. That's a love that, that can't be compromised on any level. That's an exciting love. That's a, that's a, that's a love that, that can never be lost no matter where we are in life, what we do in life because God's love for us is rooted in his love for his glory and that works out for our eternal good. So, the second thing that I want you to see this morning is that the gospel does not discriminate and neither should you. The gospel does not discriminate, and neither should you. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. I don't think I have it in your notes, and it might not even be up there at the screen, but uh, the Apostle Paul says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And that's the very picture that we get here with Jesus interacting with the woman at the well in Samaria. This is actually the first excuse me, the first example we have of cross-cultural evangelism 
This is, you know, that's why when I said the Jews, uh, uh, the disciples coming back, they were, they marveled at the fact that Jesus was talking to a woman, uh, uh, a woman and a Samaritan woman to, uh, uh, at that. And, and to get you, to help you to understand uh, this, the relationship the Jews had with the Samaritans, um, I want you to think, think 1950s Birmingham, Alabama, okay? Think, think segregation for a moment. That, that's what, that's what's going on between the Jews and the Samaritans here. And so the, 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 uh, the disciples come back and they say, well, what, is, what, is he, what is he doing? That doesn't, that doesn't make sense. You know, this is for, I don't understand what, what they would even have to talk about. And then especially Jesus being a rabbi, right? This, this, this teacher, like even more so, he shouldn't have any business with, this is uncommon for, for this teacher, this rabbi, to even interact or have a conversation with the Samaritan woman. And then even more than that, the Samaritan woman, she came alone to the well to draw water. And typically, church history tells us that, that when women came to draw water from Jacob's well, that they came in groups. She didn't come in a group, she came by herself, which is probably a testament to her promiscuous lifestyle that Jesus confronts her on that we'll examine in just a few moments. And so this woman was a social outcast even in her, uh, even amongst her own people. Yet Jesus sits at the well and he has a conversation with her. The gospel doesn't discriminate and neither should we. I mean, the Jews and the Samaritans, they, they looked at Jesus and they said, he's at the wrong place at the wrong time, in, in, according to their perspective. This isn't, this isn't good. But us having the full revelation of God and, and, and us being able to, to read God's Word and to see His act of redemption from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we can look at this passage of Scripture and say that Jesus was exactly where He willed Himself to be, talking to the person He willed Himself to talk to. And it points us to the fact that the gospel is for all types of people in all different places for all of time. There's no Jew, there's no Gentile, there's no male, there's no female. The gospel reaches to all the nations. And Jesus is demonstrating this for us in John chapter 4. A couple of years ago, I preached a sermon on Zacchaeus. And, uh, and Zacchaeus, as you know, he was, a, he was a tax collector. He was this guy, just nobody wanted anything to do with him because he was, you know, tax collectors were uh, crooked and, and just take, 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 not a whole lot like today, right? And... Um, and, uh, and, and, then, and then Zacchaeus does say, he climbs up in this tree and he knows that Jesus is coming and, and it seems like the Holy Spirit's prepared his heart to encounter Jesus and Jesus sees him and he says, get, get down here, Zacchaeus. I'm, I'm going to your house today. And we see the response of Zacchaeus and we know that his heart's been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? And, and what's amazing about that passage, and if you want to read more about it, it's in Luke chapter 19, is in just one chapter earlier in Luke chapter 18, we hear uh, Jesus say it's easier for a camel to enter the eye of a what? Than for a rich man. Absolutely, to have eternal life, right? And so we, it's almost like Jesus is saying it's, this is impossible. And then he does the impossible. Right? He, just one chapter later, he does the very thing that he talks about is, is difficult to do. The gospel is for all types of people. I would say, even, and I would encourage you to do this when you, when you have time, to sit down and read the gospel of John in its entirety. You know, it won't take as long as what you think, but, and it can help you to grasp 
the, the story as a whole rather than just reading it in segments. But just one chapter earlier in John chapter 3, we see Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus, right? And, and Nicodemus is, is um, uh, the total opposite of this lady at the well, right? There's a, a, a scholar and a professor, uh, D.A. Carson from Trinity Evangelical School. He says this, he says, John may intend a contrast between the woman of this narrative and Nicodemus of chapter 3. He was learned, powerful, respected, orthodox, theologically trained. She was unschooled, without influence, despised, capable of only folk religion. He was a man, a Jew, a ruler. She was a woman, a Samaritan, a moral outcast. Both needed Jesus. Both needed Jesus. Everybody in this room, no matter where you are in life, you need Jesus. Even if you don't think you need Jesus, you need Jesus. When we're, when we're saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ and you decide to commit your people, uh, commit yourself to a people who are committed to Jesus Christ, you're embracing an invitation or, or, or rather this command that God's given you to invite all people to taste and see the goodness of God. Jesus invites the disciples to do that all throughout John. Come and see, come and see, come and see. Is that, we're, we're heralds of the good news of Christ, inviting orphans to come out from hiding and, and enter into the warm embrace that's found only through the person and the work of Jesus, reconciling us back to God the Father. That's what we're about here at Coast Community Church. But even more than Coast Community Church, that's what we should be about as Christ followers, no matter where we are, if we've been touched and saved and radically transformed by this gospel message. It should, it should motivate us to go out and to say, come, come out from hiding. Stop, stop, stop being this, stop settling. Embrace and embrace Jesus Christ. It's so much better. Come and taste the goodness of God as demonstrated in His Son. Number three, we should follow the example of Jesus in our evangelism. We should follow the example of Jesus in our evangelism. He begins with God the Father. Jesus begins with God the Father. Verse 10 Jesus says this, he says, if you, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Gift of God, he introduces God as a gift giver. I thought that that was, that was strange when I initially read the text, right? He's, this is this lady's introduction to the church. You know, sure, she has an idea of God and, and who she thinks he is and where he should be worshipped and, and, and they add all kinds of stuff to their worship of, of God the Father that makes it not true worship of, of God the Father. But Jesus, in an effort to correct and shape her thinking, he introduces God as, as a gift giver. The Greek, the Greek word for, for gift, it, it literally means that it's received without warrant or merit. It's, it's something that you can't earn, something that, that you don't deserve. Why is it that, that, that Jesus paints God as a gift giver, and why is it that God offers us a gift? And what is the gift? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says this. Very familiar passage, isn't it? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the what? The gift of God. Hey, God has introduced 
as, as this great gift giver because redemption of this great sinner could never be earned. The woman, she's, she's drowning in habitual sin and death. And Jesus demonstrates that God didn't merely just throw her a life jacket and, 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 or a raft hoping and, 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 and frantically just yelling, please embrace this, please embrace this. I hope that you embrace it. He, he didn't just do that but, uh, and, and hope that she would come to her, her senses and embrace the jacket and, and come out of the choppy waters. But, but God snatches her from the choppy waters. God's a gift giver and the gift isn't something that's earned or something that it's deserved. Revelation 7, 17 says, For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and He will guide them to springs. This is alluding, uh, uh, what uh, Jesus is alluding to, to them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Salvation through the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, is the precious gift that God the Father gives to those who repent of their sins and place their trust in. Uh, their faith and their trust in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. God gives us the gift of grace and faith, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Let's continue to look at Jesus drawing this lady's attention to God the Father. Jesus, he, he, he goes on and he says, You worship what you don't know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming that is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. See, the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ frees us up to worship God in spirit and in truth. We can't do that apart from, from this, this, this gift of salvation. And, and God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, enables us to even grasp the words of Jesus and certifies to our hearts that the things Jesus is saying are true, that the testimonies that he makes about himself are, in fact, true. And no longer, and I love the song Jesus Messiah because it talks about the veil being torn because of Jesus Christ. And one of the points that he's making this lady is forget about these places of worship. You, you talking about us, the Jews worshiping here and the Samaritans worship here, that, that's, that's no longer because I'm here. The, the, the veil of the, the, the temple was torn in two. No longer do we have to go to some priest and confess our sins and hope that this, this priest is going to communicate with God on our behalf. But Jesus Christ is the mediator between us and God the Father. And when the Lord looks at us, when we're in Jesus Christ, he doesn't see Joey and his sinful uh, mistakes and, and, and all the, the garbage that I, that I bring when I stand on my own two feet. But he looks at me and he sees the mediator, Jesus Christ. That's our mediator, not some priest that we have to confess to or, and not these Hail Marys that we have to do. Jesus Christ is our mediator. The second thing he does is he aims to convict of sin. Look with me in verses 16 through 18. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband for you've had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. What you... What you've said is absolutely true. And the gospel isn't, it's not fully proclaimed in evangelism if repentance of sin isn't emphasized. I mean, under, understanding the, the depth of our offense, of, uh, of our sin against God the Father, enables us to grasp the need for a great Savior only offered in Jesus Christ. Some of the staff this week, we were discussing genuine faith and repentance versus a mere profession. And here are some of the things that seem to be present all throughout the Bible with, with people who have true repentance of sin. I'm just going to list them off. Um, 
as people who are displaying true repentance have a sight for sin, a sorrow for sin, confession of sin, shame for sin, hatred from sin that ultimately leads to them turning from their sin. Does your evangelism to other people, does it give them an opportunity to truly repent of their sin? Do we take sin as seriously as God takes sin? The final thing God offers in his evangelism is that he offers himself, and I alluded to it earlier, as the all-sufficient mediator. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And then down a little bit further in verses 25 and 26, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Here Jesus Christ offers himself as the only one who can truly satisfy our thirst in this life and the next. Do you see the contrast between our great sin and our great Savior? There's some, some of you in this room this morning that just drink, drink, drink from, from the unsatisfying well of your sin. But Jesus offers you the, the water that will completely satisfy your thirst. Taste and see that Christ is better than your sin. C.S. Lewis states in his book, The Weight of Glory, he says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong. He doesn't find them too strong, but he finds our desires too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition uh, when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. One pastor says that when you call a man to repent, you call him to his joy. Certainly, this is the way that Christ approaches this wonderful task. When you call a man to repent of a sin and trust in his Savior, you shouldn't be approaching it by saying, these are all the things that you need to give up in order to embrace Jesus Christ. You should approach it saying, you've been settling. Come out from the darkness, press your face against the radiance and the warmth of the sun because what we offer is so much better than what you have. When we call men to repent, we call them to their joy. When true conversion takes place, the Holy Spirit begins to decrease our affections for sin and increase our affections for God. And because of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit and the obedience of Christ in evangelism, we see the woman respond appropriately. She says in verse 19, she says, Sir, I, be- I perceive that you're a prophet. She's saying... What you're saying is true. You're a truth teller. I know that you're a prophet. The, the, what, the assessment that you just made of my life is 100% true. And then in verse 28, after that, it says that the woman left her water jar. She was so excited that she's come face to face with the Messiah that's been prophe- prophesied about in the Old Testament. She's seen it fulfilled, and he's actually having a conversation with her. She's so excited, she forgets that she's drawing water. She leaves her water jar and says she goes into the town and says, Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Pastor Sean spent a 
a lot of time last week on the role of the Holy Spirit awakening our hearts so that we can embrace Jesus as the I am. So I don't want to spend a ton of time here, but I'm going to, I want to say this. Contained in these two verses are true acts of repentance. And the Holy Spirit, is, she's, he's led this woman to a place of honesty about who she is apart from the Messiah. And she's in agreement with it. Let's go, I'm going to go through the last two scenes very quickly. But look at scene two with me. It's just, uh, it's John chapter 4, 31 through 38. It says, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? And they're like, What? We just traveled all this way and got all this food, and you had it in your back pocket the whole time? Yeah. Um, and Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of the Father who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, um, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. I want you to see two things from this passage. The first thing is this. Our joy is increased. Our joy is increased when we invite others to partake in the joy God offers through Christ. All right? The disciples were urging him, said, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food you don't know about. That passage of Scripture there, it seems like a, like, why is this in the middle of this encounter with Jesus, right? You read it and you're like, what, what does food and them eating have to do with any of this? Why did John feel that it was appropriate to include it in this, or this record of, of, of the works of Jesus Christ? But the food Jesus is talking about is the joy and the nourishment he receives from God the Father for being obedient to the will of God the Father in this task called evangelism. Right? It's the food he's talking about is the joy and nourishment he receives from God the Father for being obedient to the will of God the Father in the task of evangelism. When you invite others to partake in the joy that you have in Christ, God increases your joy, and it's a, a, a perfectly good and acceptable thing to seek for your joy to be increased in the task of evangelism. That's a good thing. That helps to give us a, a healthy perspective on the task of evangelism, that when you're obedient to that, that, that God's going to increase your joy, and that it's going to motivate you to continue to, to confess Christ as Lord to a, to a lost and dying world. Secondly, our task in evangelism is to reap what Jesus has sown through his life, death, and resurrection. Jesus says, there are four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. Um, I, I sent you to reap that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Our task of evangelism is to reap what Jesus has sown through his life, death, and resurrection. The, uh, what excites me about that passage of scripture there is that the work's already done right? The work's already done. Jesus lived. Jesus died. Jesus rose again. The work's done. We're called to go and, 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 and reap what God's already sown. And the amazing thing about it is that it will be successful because God's all-powerful. 
the Great Commission will be accomplished because it's God's will for it to be accomplished. That makes me join the enjoy the task of evangelism so much more because of that. Knowing that I'm, God's allowing me to play a part to reap this, this, this thing that he's sown and that it's actually going to succeed and that the gospel is going to go forth to every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and that it will be sweet. Pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones, he stated on this passage that the church is most effective when she herself is as she ought to be. All we have to do is embrace our identity in Jesus Christ. Be who God created you to be. Christ has planted the seeds of salvation for those who will repent and believe the gospel and our jobs to reap the harvest to the praise of His glory. Look at this final scene and then we'll be finished. Verses 39 through 42, the Apostle John, he says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And isn't that something, right? She's a social outcast because of her promiscuous lifestyle. She's living with a man she's not married to. She's had five husbands. This, but there's something so radically different about her that they're like, man, we better, we better see what this is because this lady isn't the same lady who went to go get water. She's different now, you know. And then she's, uh, she said, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of her word, because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we now know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. That's exciting, isn't it? Your obedience to the Great Commission has a ripple effect that will long outlast your life. Your obedience to the Great Commission has a ripple effect that will long outlast your life. This lady, because she was so excited for what the Lord had done in her life and that she had just encountered the Messiah, and she had to tell others about it, that this whole town, this town of Samaria, began to embrace this man, this, the God-man, Jesus, as the one who fulfills the Old Testament, and he's come to save you and I from the penalty of our sin. Your obedience to the Great Commission has a ripple effect that will outlast your life. I had the opportunity to grow up in a Christian home, and I often talk to my wife about certain things that my dad um, instilled in me growing up that, that he doesn't even, I don't even think that he, he realizes um, but here are some things that were evident in the Tomlinson household growing up. The first thing that was evident was that Jesus was the Savior of the world. Second thing was that my parents actually believed the Bible, and they adjusted their lives according to what it says. My parents instilled in me that the local church was important. I was there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, nights in between that. And if any sports, I know it's hard to believe that I played sports as a kid, but I did play sports. I watched them play as I sat on the bench. But so it wasn't a big loss when I was there. But, but, um, but if there was a game, and it was on, even if it was on Wednesday night, Joey didn't go to the game because my parents instilled in me that church takes a priority over an athletic event. That sticks with me. They instilled in me the importance of a consistent, quiet time with the Lord. I could often get up really early in the morning. Rarely happened when I was young, but every now and then I would get up early. Just couldn't sleep, and my dad would have already been up, and he's sitting uh, on the couch. He's got his cup of coffee, and he's spending time with the Lord before everybody else wakes up. 
My father instilled that in me. My father instilled the importance of engaging my mind with God and his word. Instilled in me the importance of having intimacy with God. My dad's a carpenter. He's, he's built cabinets for 30 years and um, maybe even more than that. But I have this memory of all of us Tomlinson boys uh, at some point uh, worked in the cabinet shop um, and they got fired. Uh, but, uh, uh, but my dad would have this radio station on called WAFT. And all day long, um, it was preaching. All day long preaching, you know, and as a kid, I'm like, oh, God, we can't even listen to music. We got to listen to preaching. But when, when us boys were working in that cabinet shop, it was preaching all day long. And I remember the cabinet shop my, my dad uh, owned. I could go back and he was always spraying. We did the whole process. We built the cabinets. The cabinets were sprayed and then we installed them. And my dad was always in the spray room. And, uh, and I could go back there to his, his place, his nook in the, in the spray room. And I would see where he would stop what he was doing and he would write notes. From, from the preaching, like that's something the Holy Spirit would use to, to encourage him that he wanted to remember. And so I could go in here and I could see all these things that, that my dad had written down because he, 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 it touched his life. It was real to him. My parents instilled it. I don't say that to say this was a perfect home. My parents, we, we all make mistakes and things happen and all that stuff. But when it came to, to, to salvation, to God, to his church... My parents instilled something in me that will long outlast their lives because the Lord willing, I'm going to strive to instill those same things in my children. And I pray that my children instill those things in their children that, and that it's a ripple effect that continues to happen, happen, happen until the, one day the Lord comes back and we get to spend eternity with Him. Amen? And so this task of evangelism is the greatest call of your life. And my prayer is, is that, that the things that that we've talked about today, that it, you can take this, the notes that you've taken and that you can apply it to the relationships that God brings in your life so that you can represent Jesus effectively. Let's close in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gospel and thank you for our role in proclaiming it. And God, I pray that we would look at uh, this passage of Scripture, Lord, that we would... Uh, God, we would use it as a guide in the relationships that we have with other people to win people to the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that, uh, um, God, that you would fuel in Coastal this desire, every single person in this room who calls you their Savior, that you would, that, God, you would, uh, you would give us all a desire to shout your name for the rooftops. God, that we would leave our, our, our bucket, that we would uh, stop fetching our own water from the well, that we would drop it and we would drink from the well that offers everlasting life and we would encourage other people to do the same. And so thank you for grace and mercy. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray all this in his name, the only name that saves. Amen. As if you would like to uh, talk more about what the Lord's doing in your life, um, We'll have uh, uh, some people sitting up here on the front row with purple shirts on, and I know that they would love to pray with you. They would love to talk about the gospel with you and, uh, and uh, connect you in any way that you see fit. And so please utilize them, uh, speak with them, pray with them.
And uh, we're going to transition now into our offertory time. And if you're a guest with us, we don't want you to feel any pressure or obligation to give. The service is, is uh, our offertory is just another way that, that out of a, a gratefulness for what Christ has done in our life, we fuel the kingdom financially so that we uh, can be more effective in the task of evangelism. And with that, I'll turn it over to uh, Brian and the guys.